Good morning, Midland Free. Thank you. He's risen. All right. Welcome here. For those of you who didn't know what we just did there, that's what we do every Easter. Uh, we as Christians are super excited about the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the reason is, is because if he wasn't, he'd still be dead. <laughs> okay. In other words, everything we do hinges on this. Like there's no reason for us to come. There's no reason for us to worship. We're wasting our time if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. But because we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, then for us, everything changes. So I have no idea where you're at along that spectrum, whether it's your first time at church or whether you've been going to church all your life. But we welcome you here to worship with us today. What we're worshiping is Jesus, the only begotten son of the living God, buried, risen and coming again. Amen. Okay. So if we do some stuff today and that's a little bit weird to you, just hang with us and roll with the punches. Don't worry about it. We're just excited. You're welcome to come up afterwards. We'll have some Stevens ministers, perhaps pastors or elders, to be glad to talk to you. If you have questions, they can walk you through what we believe, why we believe it, and surely pray with you if there's any uh, needs or concerns you have in your life. But we welcome you to Midland Free to worship with us today. I want to use an illustration, and I know it's a bit weird being a guy and talking about this, but I want to talk about pregnancy this morning. (laughs) Is that okay? (laughs) Maybe I don't even have the right to say anything. I don't know. But here's the thing is Jesus talks about it a little bit, and so I figure, well, if Jesus can talk about it, I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to say what he said, so I'm going to talk about it. Now, I also know, let me just be sensitive here, There's a variety of experiences, right? There is, we got pregnant and we didn't want to get pregnant. And there is, we've been trying all our lives to get pregnant and we can't get pregnant. And this is kind of hurtful to even talk about. So I'm not really trying to go there. But instead, what I'm trying to do is walk the fine line and saying, hey, here's an experience that has a tremendous amount of, of emotion and expectation and ups and downs associated with it. So if that's not your experience, just think of something that is, because there's all kinds of experiences out there, even if you haven't had this pregnancy thing, which I haven't, but it goes up and down and up and down and up and down, and thus the illustration. So let's go with pregnancy. When it comes to pregnancy, I can remember ours a little bit. I can't speak for everyone, and everyone's different, but for ours... There's, there's this sort of like planning process, right? Like, okay, where are we at in life and how would we like to see things unfold and what can we do to be wise about that? So we wait for a while and eventually we say, okay, we're in a spot now. It's probably appropriate. Let's give her a go. And then there's the attempt at getting pregnant, right? And you don't know what's going to happen. Like, is it right away? Is it going to take a long time? What's going on? I don't know. You know, we're just... This is our first time. We'll see what happens, right? So here we go. I know, TMI, whatever. The first service, it was a blah illustration, so this service, I'm cranking it up a bit. Here we go. All right? So my wife is turning red, but I'm here, and we're still married. But, you know, I love you, honey. Happy Easter. I'll buy you flowers later. Here we go. So there's this process. And eventually, hopefully, if things go the way you anticipate, which they don't always because that's life, but if they do, then the pregnancy occurs. 
But then the, the ups and downs are certainly not done, you know. Then there's all these, like, physiological changes and hormonal changes. I remember driving down the road one day. We're in a different city. I'm just driving along like we normally do, and all of a sudden my wife's like, hooga, hooga. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? This is totally unplanned. All of a sudden I realize now we have motion sickness. Okay, I'll, maybe I should pull over. So we go through this experience. There's hormonal, physiological, psychological. They're all different for everybody. And you finally get to this point where... It's about time, you know. I mean, you're into the pregnancy. It's almost over, and you think, okay, up and down, up and down, up and down. Let's get this baby out of here and go, you know. And so we come to this point, and for us, the way it occurred with our first child is there was a due date, and then there was the actual date. And the actual date wasn't the due date. It was like way later. And I was a preacher at the time, and I had things lined up. So, you know, I got guest speaker, guest speaker, guest speaker, covered on both ends, a week or two either way, I should, or a week or so either way, I should be okay. Well, no, that's not the way it goes. First baby's late, refuses to come. Like, what's going on here? It's supposed to be happening. Nothing's happening. We don't know. You know, the drugs are given, the induction, nothing. Eventually, I'm sitting at the hospital, and they're like, yeah, we got to do this thing, like, now. I mean, it's important the baby comes. Like, oh, boy. Okay, here we go. So then the baby comes, and you're like, whoa, we're so excited. And you think, okay, good, all the hormonal stuff and pregnancy done, right? We're, we're flatlined now. Oh, no. <laughs> That's when the real changes kick in, right? After that, whoa, <laughs> sleepless nights, lots of tears, baby and mom, and eventually dad, too, right? <laughs> Woo. It's an incredible process. There's this huge buildup, enormous anticipation, and then there's the big day. And you have these expectations going into it, and then those are all blown out of the water. And then there's emotions that follow that. But at the end of the day, it's really amazing and radical thing because after all the ups and downs, eventually life comes forth. And boom, everything changes. So too, the birth of the Messiah. But even in a grander and more cosmic scale, now what I'm talking about is not just the pregnancy of Mary, but instead the prophetic pregnancy of the Word. In other words, the Scriptures have been leading up until this point where the Jewish people are pregnant with expectation. They've been bought through this enormously long process of the building up of their nation and the prophecies, and the kings, and the sin, and rebellion, and exile. And now they have been brought back to this point where they're like, okay, God has judged us. We have been dominated by a foreign power. We see that it is time for Caesar to go. Where is the new king? Where is he? We are expectant. The world is astir, and we're wondering, where is the Messiah? Now is surely the time. And then, Matthew chapter 1. Behold, an angel. Behold, a virgin. Behold, wise men from the east. Behold, a star. And the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. 
for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So begins the book of Matthew. All these strange occurrences all happening at once. Then for the next 26 chapters, you watch the most unusual unfolding of the most spectacular life that has ever been lived. Who in the world is this? What in the world is going on? A new light has come. 26 chapters, and you're expecting, okay, we have found him. The zealots, they think, yes, Caesar's going down, you know. The religious leaders are like, not so sure, don't want to give up our powers. These crazy disciples are following along saying, hey, do we get the rule right next to you? Here we go. Everybody's excited. And then chapter 27, the light goes out. And all of a sudden, darkness Covers the face of the earth. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And Jesus hung on the cross. 19th century England. Napoleon was sweeping the planet. French forces had dominated. And the British were fearful that they would soon be invaded and overrun. As a result, they sent their best, General Wellington, out to confront this new conqueror. And, of course, they didn't have cell phones or any other form of relay other than verbal communication. And so, knowing that this was a crucial battle, they posted signalmen along the way, the top of which, the foremost, was in Winchester Cathedral. As a result, the deal was, is as the battle went along... Eventually, a ship was to be sent back with word to London on how things were going. And so that night, the ship was sent as the Battle of Waterloo progressed. And the signalman did exactly what he was supposed to do and signaled up ahead to this person atop the cathedral. And the first word came across, Wellington. And then the second word, defeated. Then the fog closed in. And it was dark. All of a sudden, this message, it spread by word of mouth throughout England, and a great gloom filled the land. As the people, filled with darkness and sadness, realized their last hope was gone. Wellington defeated. Later that evening, after having delivered the message, the signalman went back to his post, and he saw the signal coming through again. He looked and looked. He realized the message said, Wellington defeated the enemy. The fog had lifted and the message changed. And he ran back and recommunicated and all of the world in, in England rejoiced. So too on Easter morning. Matthew chapter 27 says in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
And the message received at that time, under that fog, was Jesus defeated. And great gloom and doom filled his friends and followers. Then, three days later, the fog lifted. And at new day, according to Matthew chapter 28, the next chapter, all of a sudden, in the New Living Translation, it says, Early on Sunday morning, a new day dawned. And the light that had come and the light that had been extinguished was ignited again. The message now for everyone who had mourned before was this. Jesus defeated the enemy. Easter morning, 2,000 years ago. Today we're going to look at that tremendous accomplishment of Christ on the cross. We're going to do so in kind of a unique way because guess what? I'm kind of a unique guy, you know? I'm just not everyday dude, so I'm sorry, I'm weird, whatever. <laughs> Here we are. On Easter morning, I suppose you expect an Easter sermon that looks at the tomb and goes, yay, the tomb. But actually, as I studied this, what I saw is that there is more to it than just the tomb. There is another thing that we have completely dropped if that's all we see. And so what I hope to do today is walk you through this unusual occurrence and end up where Jesus ended up. I want you to connect the final dot, not just see this one in the past, but the one in the future as well. So Matthew chapter 28, we're going to work through in three different steps. There's an outline that uh, hopefully should be pretty simple for you to follow. The theme is that we prepare for Christ's return. The theme is that we prepare for Christ's return. That's the message of my Easter sermon. Prepare for Christ's return. That is my Easter message. The way we're going to get there is we're going to look at these very significant events in this chapter and in another that Matthew marks out with the word behold. He's going to use this structural marker that he wants you to see. Here's the dots I want you to connect. And so he's going to say, behold, behold, behold. And that in scriptural Christianese means, look, notice, don't miss it, yo. You know, knock him upside the head. Here it is. Pay attention. Behold. So what are we going to behold today? We're going to behold three things. These three things, please. Beholding, number one, the quake. Beholding, number two, the crucified. And beholding, number three, the connection or the coming one. Whichever you want to call it. So the quake, the crucified, and the coming one, which connects all of these things. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible, feel free to follow along. If you've never had a Bible before, we have one for you. They're blue and they're at the back. You can pick one up on your way out. Either way, it'll be up on the screen, so follow along as you read. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. 
For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Behold, this is a great event. Now, I hope you've noticed, if I haven't been overly dramatic too far, I'm trying to make a point. The word behold is significant here. And what it does is it points out the signpost along the way. So if you're going on a journey and you're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You're noticing, okay, this is town whatever, this is town whatever, this is town whatever. This is what marks our journey. Matthew does the same thing in his gospel, and he uses the word behold to do so. So, for example, as you encounter the birth of Christ, you see this word shouting out that there are important events like behold, an angel, behold, a virgin, behold, wise men, behold, a star. Hey, you don't see that every day. Notice this. And then you follow this gospel as it moves along, and you see the same thing. Behold, a baptism, and wow, this isn't no ordinary baptism. All of a sudden, the heavens are open, and there's a voice, and there's a dove, and all of a sudden, you get this, my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You don't hear that every day. And you follow it along, and it moves further, and you see that at the resurrection, over and over again, behold, there's an earthquake, and behold, the temple veil is torn, and behold, there's an earthquake, and behold, an angel. And What, what is going on? Matthew is doing his best to help his readers and us connect the dots. And this morning, it's my hope, although it, you know, it is a bit of a stretch, is I want you to connect these dots too. The progressive and prophetic dots that God has laid all along the way, marking our path, saying, this is where we're going. Notice these sign points. We're trying to point them out. Please don't miss it. Please don't miss it. Today we look at Matthew chapter 28 and we do our best to connect the dots. Beginning with verse 2, it says, Behold, an earthquake. Behold, an earthquake. Now what's so big about, what's the big deal about an earthquake? You know, they happen often, every day in some places. Well, when you follow Scripture, what you see is that, for example, with the giving of the law at Sinai and at many other places, when God's about to do something great, boom, the earth shakes. In fact, sometimes the earth splits open. It moves. Um, poetically, the Scriptures say it like this. Look, when, when Jesus or God moves, the earth and sky flee from his presence mountains melt like wax before him. He rides upon the clouds and the earth trembles. 
Who is like our God? None. God moves. And in this case, when he does, the earth trembles. The soldiers fall and mountains step aside. Now this, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is an extremely encouraging thing to us. Why? Don't raise your hand, but let me just use it for an illustration. How many of you have turmoil in your life? You ever had a few bumps in the road? (laughs) Anything ever get rocky? Is there some uncertainty? Do you have questions? The ground beneath your feet feels a little bit uncertain and shaky? You don't know where you stand. Things are moving. God is at work. That's what that is. When God works, the mountains move. When God is about to do something great, the earth trembles beneath your feet. Now, you can respond in one of two ways. When we look at this passage, you'll see that the guards and the soldiers, they cower in fear. Like, ah, ground is moving. And indeed, that's the natural response. That's our tendency, right? Oh, man, things in my life are bad. I don't get it. Boom, hit the floor. But what does the angel later tell to the women at the tomb? (laughs) You know, the guys are a bunch of scaredy cats. They're hiding locked in their room. (laughs) It's the women who are at the tomb, right? Note to self, women are braver than men. There are the women at the tomb. What's he say? Don't be afraid. Go and tell. What's the message to us? Don't be afraid. Go and tell. The ground is shaking. No, no. stop. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Yes, things are weird in your life. Yes, they're uncertain. Yes, they're uncomfortable. Yes, companies are merging. Wars are fighting. Everything's going wonky. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Behold, God is on the move. The quake was great. Point one, behold the quake. Point two, behold the crucified. Behold the crucified. Verse five, the angels tell the women, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus. Stop there. No. How does it describe him? Grammarians, you'll love me. With a perfect passive participle. What is it? He who was crucified. In other words, what's happening is this. This crucifixion happened to Jesus, passive. Perfect, it happened in the past. Perfect, the results continue in the present. In other words, what this verb, this verbal adjective weird thing called a participle is trying to do is show you that in the past, something happened, boom. But you don't go, okay, it happened, done. No. Instead, what you say is, wow, it happened and it continues into the present. It happened in the past, but it has lingering results going on right now. That's exactly what that verbal form means. And that's exactly the theology behind the crucifixion. That it happened in the past, but it has continuing results right up until the present. Jesus Christ is the crucified one. Now, that's a strange thing for me as a Protestant evangelical to say. Because I see other traditions, and sometimes I see Christ hanging up on the cross, and I want to say, no, get him off. He's done. He rose. He's reigning in heaven, and we know that for a fact. 
But the reality is, even though he has risen from the grave, even though he's in a perfected state, even though he reigns forevermore, he still remains the crucified one. And if you want to chase this down, just look at the book of Revelation. If you're a data hound and say, okay, how many times does the word lamb appear? And it's something like 30-some times. And of those 30-plus times, I think it's 32, 27 or 27 of the occurrences of the Lamb of God in the New Testament are in the book of Revelation. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is even in the future, Jesus is always referred to as the crucified one. Theologically, what that means is what Christ's glory in the future centers upon what he did in the past. He is the crucified Lamb, the only begotten Son of the living God and the risen Lord. So then, this lesson for us, what's in it? Well, it's absolutely essential. Because if Jesus isn't crucified, I'm not forgiven. If Jesus isn't crucified, then I'm not crucified. And if I'm not crucified, then my old self is still a real part of me. But because I am in Christ and I am crucified with him, that means I went down into the grave. And if he's risen and I'm with him, that means I'm risen. And if I'm risen, that means my old bad stuff is dead and my new good stuff is out and I can walk in the newness of life because Jesus Christ remains the crucified one. But if you ever decide to stop someday like, I'm done with that, then all of a sudden I'm done. But it is absolutely essential for me so that I am not under the condemnation of sin and death to know that Jesus Christ has been and remains the crucified one. Behold, the crucified one. Behold, Jesus. As long as Jesus is crucified, we're good. Point one, the quake. Behold, point two, the crucified one, behold, point three, the coming one. Here's the connection. Behold. Verse five, the angel says to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was the crucified one. Verse six, he's not here. He is risen just as he said, just as he said. Now, if you're a parent. Have you ever heard those words come off your mouth? <laughs> like I said, <laughs> for the hundredth time, right? Now, I was a kid too, right? We were all kids at some point. No doubt we understand our parents because we disobey. But there is this incredible irony in the fact that over and over and over again, Jesus told his disciples before this happened, hey, guess what, guys? I, let me help you connect the dots, You had in your past all of these prophecies. You understood Isaiah chapter 9, I think it is, where he's promised to be the eternal, everlasting Messiah who reigns and rules on the throne of David. You got that. Good. You paid attention. Good. You listened. You heard the first half of my statement. But... Hear Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. That was the first part. Hear the second. The first is that he'll be an eternal king. The second is that he will suffer and die and be raised to life. The son of man must be crucified, mocked, spit upon, betrayed, and on the third day he will rise again. 
Just like the prophet Jonah, who went down into the grave of the sea and came out three days later, so too the Son of Man. Guys, do you remember that? I told you. And over and over again, Jesus repeats himself like a good father and just says, Hey, guys, pay attention, please. I'm trying to tell you. Connect the dots. This is why we're doing this. It's been all leading up to this point. The world is pregnant with expectation. You've seen the birth, but now there's something more. Crucifixion and resurrection are coming. I want you to be prepared and not caught off guard. But what happens? Oh, he's crucified. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Oh, he's dead. It's all done. Might as well go back to fishing. I don't know. It's over. So much for right hand and left hand. We don't even have the Savior. We're done. The guys are cowering and hiding out in fear. Even though Jesus told them this all along the way. They missed it. They failed to connect the dots. Here are the signposts. Behold, behold, behold. Guys, look, they're all connected. Now, we can look at these disciples and say, oh, silly disciples. (laughs) Boy, did you miss it. But before we come down too hard on them, we need to reflect back on ourselves just a little as well. And ask ourselves the question, what dots do we have? Indeed, we connect many of those. We got it. You know, like prophesied Messiah, I'm there. Birth, excellent. Celebrate that. Crucifixion, resurrection, now I get it. Okay. What's the last dot? There's one more. There's one more dot. And if you're looking back to the resurrection as the last one, then you have missed it. Christ himself says so. Matthew chapter 26. Just before this whole crucifixion and resurrection, he is putting another dot right in front of your face. Matthew chapter 26. It's a crazy scene. High priest is questioning Jesus and all these liars have got up and, you know, said bad things about him, which are completely false and self-contradictory and untrue. The high priest doesn't know what to do, and he's trying to get Jesus to trip on his own words. And so he says to him, hey, um, have you no answer to make? (laughs) He's like, I ain't going to respond to this. This is nuts. What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. (laughs) Time out. (laughs) Who was it? That was standing right before the high priest. (laughs) The living God. (laughs) Kind of funny when Jesus is asked to swear by himself. But he could swear by no one greater. So here we go. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Are you the Messiah? Do you connect these two dots? Is that you? And Jesus says, you bet. You bet I am. You've said so yourself, but I tell you, there's a couple more dots, dude. Listen up. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. There's a whole nother dot. And this isn't even all it. Yes, it is true that I'm the only begotten Son of the living God, the anointed one, promised descendant of David, the Messiah, the eternal King. You got that. Yes, it is true that I will be crucified and I will raise again in three days. You got that. But guess what else? Jesus 
who sees all things from an eternal perspective with time being irrelevant, in one breath, lump sum, puts them all together and says, this is it. Connecting the dots, putting the final piece in the puzzle, right in is the return. In his description of his own descent into death, hell, and Hades, and his resurrection up into glory, he also includes his return to earth. It's all one. One package. Boom. Messiah, death, burial, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, return. It's all one. And here we are on Easter morning, and we come and we celebrate the resurrection. But I'm telling you, don't miss it. That's not enough. Look forward to the return. Because just as Jerusalem under Roman rule was pregnant and expectant and in upheaval and the world was astir waiting for the birth of the Messiah, so too is Midland today pregnant, expectant, and astir waiting for the return of the king. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and 24 when he said, Hey, look, here are the signs of the end of the age. See if you recognize any of these at work in our time period right now. Many will claim to be the Messiah. People will be deceived. There will be wars, famine, earthquake, pestilence. Believers in Christ will be persecuted. Indeed, they have on epic proportions. In the last 100 years, more martyrs for the cause of Christ than in all the centuries combined. Hard to believe, but true. Many will turn away from the faith. Betrayals by parents, brothers, friends, yea, indeed our own spouses. Over 50% of the people in our society betray one another. Fearful events and signs from heaven. Modern day slave trade. Genocide. Horrible things that are happening throughout our world. And we can respond to those in one or two ways. We can say, whoa, the ground is shaking. Hide. Duck your head in the sand and be afraid. Or you can listen to the angel. It says, don't be afraid. This is what he told you. Connect the dots and go and tell. Don't hide. This is supposed to happen. It's a good thing. Whatever you do, don't be caught asleep. So when the ground is shaking beneath you, when the world is astir, surely we don't want to be the people who are caught unawares. We have all the dots lined up in front of us. And the prophets and the preachers and Christ himself says, look, behold, this is this, this is this, this is this. Connect the dots. Put them together and get ready for Christ's return. We stand on the edge of a knife. I'm no doomsday prophet or, you know, conspiracy theorist or anything else. But I think as we look at our world, it's clear to see that these are the beginnings of birth pains 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. The contractions are occurring. Things are at work that are beyond our control. And when the world shakes, God is about to move. Don't get caught asleep. Technology is changing. Geography is changing. Politics are changing. The whole world is astir. Don't miss it. Tremendous fear, joy, anticipation, and excitement all wrapped into one. But when the day comes, there's no holding it back. You can't push Jesus back up in the clouds and say, no, we're not ready. You better have your bags packed. Because he's coming. And there's no stopping. The moment is right. Revelation 1-7. The last dot. Behold, he is coming in the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.